This is Surviving to the Trumpet, Part 7. And today we're talking about the seven letters in the book of Revelation and being a complete overcomer. Let's read Revelation chapter 2 verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we're asking today for your spirit of wisdom and revelation that you'd give us the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that we might walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God and abounding thereunto with thanksgiving. Lord, we want to know what you're saying, know how to apply it. And we receive today, Father, your revelation and the grace to put it into operation in Jesus name. Amen. As I said, this is part number seven. It's about the seven letters in Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation itself is an epistle. And so we're going to read the introduction because remember, God wrote the books of the Bible intelligently. What he says in the introduction sets us up for what he's going to say throughout the rest of the book. So this is Revelation 1, 4 to 8. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. So you can see straight away the objective there says, grace to you and peace. And we need grace today to help us fulfill what these seven letters are going to instruct us to do. It's also from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then there's this reminder about the future that we're getting ready for. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all of the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Then there's a quote from Jesus. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So today, when we look at these seven letters, and we realize it's from Jesus writing to the seven churches, which throughout church history have been looked at as personal letters, maybe letters to churches, and maybe even to eras, ages, or seasons in the life of a church or in the life of the church universal. And Jesus, of course, trained apprentices or disciples. I've done some years of training myself and it helped me understand exactly what Jesus is doing. So we see that as he trains them, he's showing them what needs to be done. They're doing it together. He inspects them, encourages them, corrects them, and then sends them out when they're fully trained, as we read in the last part of all Gospels. Now, it reminds me of when I was a youngster. When I was going to high school, they would give you your report card at the end of the term or the end of halfway through the year 
or the end of the year. And on that, you got some commendations. You actually got an assessment mark. You'd get some encouragements or some good points pointed out by the teacher. But there was also supposed to be some correction and things you had to put right. And it was always very simple stuff like, a good student but needs to concentrate better in class, things like that. But as an assessor in Bible college doing VET training, I found out that we were constantly assessing people, training them, looking for where they were competent and also where they were not yet competent. And when we looked at them, my job wasn't to discourage people or fail them. My job was to underline where they were doing well, to encourage them, but also to diagnose problems, point them out and offer solutions and or more training of how the student or trainee could show themselves to be more competent. We can see Jesus doing that in the New Testament. He trains them. He assesses them. He gives commendation and encouragement. And we can see Jesus doing this again with these seven letters to the seven churches. He goes through where they're at in their discipleship because we're all training as disciples of Jesus to walk like him, to do what he did and to produce fruit in his name. So in these letters, he's been training them by his spirit through his word. Now, this is their mid-year report card. It's not the final report because there's still time to get things together. When we hear the trumpet, the voice of the archangel and Jesus shout, there's no more mid-year reports. After that, it's the end of year report and we've got to get it ready by then. So he gives us this progress report along the way to keep us moving forward. So in these letters, we see that he's training them He's assessing them. He's giving them commendations and encouragement for what they already have competent. But he points out what is not yet competent. He gives clear diagnosis of what's wrong. He doesn't leave them guessing, saying, oh, you're not perfect yet. Keep moving. Keep trying, Dave. No, he says, this is what needs to be fixed. This is what's wrong with it. And this is how you fix it. So he gives clear directions of how to fix it. And then he warns what will happen if you don't fix it. But he gives clear indication of rewards and outcomes. If you fix it, he shows you what's going to happen. So these letters are very good for us at the moment to make sure as we're heading up to the trumpet call that we've got things in our life sorted out by Jesus, instruction and discipleship so that we can get right the things that we haven't got right yet. No one's saying that you're not right and competent in the majority of your Christian walk. But these seven letters are there so that we can see what his assessment is and get right anything that's not yet right. Amen. And when I was in high school at the end of the year, that final report told me whether I'd be going up or staying down. And the thing is, Jesus' final report of us tells us whether we're going up, down, or we're going to just pass through like someone that's gone through the fire and make it in without rewards. We want to go all the way with Jesus, be fully competent, great overcomers, so that we get all the rewards that he promises us in these seven letters. Amen. Our theme today is 
What can the seven letters in Revelation teach us about being ready for the trumpet? Number one is Ephesus. And the instruction could be summarized as overcome abandonment of first love. Let's read it. This is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So you can see there, all of these facets are in place. First of all, he gives them commendation. I know your works, they're good. I know your labor, your patience. You can't bear those who are evil. You've persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Very, very good commendations from Jesus. Brilliant work. Now he says, but you've got one thing you need to correct. You've left your first love. Solution to this is repent of abandoning first love. He just says repent. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, repent and do the first works. Then he gives his warning. If you don't repent of abandoning your first love, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, that could mean a lot of things, but it definitely means your light won't be shining. Amen. His promise in this particular letter is, To him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So you're going to have life. You're going to have light if you can get this repentance done. So he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, which is a change of heart, a change of mind, which leads on to a change of speaking and a change of actions. Do, so repent and do go together. Repentance has to result in actions that are right, that God agrees with. Repent and do the first works. So that makes me ask, is there any way I can find out about this church in Ephesus? What was their first love? What were their first works? Now, the only way I have to find this out scripturally is to look back in the book of Acts and maybe the epistle to the Ephesians and just see what I can find out. So it says this, Acts 19, 1-7. Paul came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, 
we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, he preached to them about being baptized and baptized in the Spirit, etc. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So these people initially in their first love were so hungry and in love with God that they readily accepted baptism in water. They had already accepted Jesus, I think. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they move readily in the gifts because it says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I'll ask you today, how long is it since you spoke in tongues and prophesied? This is what they were so eager to do in their first love. Now, as we read throughout the rest of the book of Acts about things that happen in this church, we'll see that they readily accepted Paul, Priscilla and Aquila, and Apollos. They had bold preaching in the synagogue, daily teaching and Bible discussions in a classroom for two years. In other words, they're in the Word of God every day. They're at meetings. They were willing to hear, to be taught. It was Paul teaching them at that time. They were hungry for the Word. They're out there in meetings. They were thirsty for what God had for them. Amen. And there were unusual miracles because they were so excited about God. Paul was a tent maker. He'd be making tents all day. He had a few handkerchiefs there, probably wiped from the sweat off, rubbing his hands with it, keeping himself working, you know. And then they'd sneak up and get one of those handkerchiefs. They'd take it around to sick people and lay it on, and they'd be getting healed. So I'm sure he went through a lot of handkerchiefs in those days. He probably comes back the next morning and there's four or five handkerchiefs where that one was. And he was just doing tent making, but the people were in love with God, excited about their new relationship with Jesus. They were overflowing that everywhere they went, taking prayer cloths and seeing unusual miracles. There was casting out demons. At one stage, there was mass repentance from witchcraft. All these people came together, burned their witchcraft books, turned from it en masse, and gave their lives to Jesus. It's a great revival. The Bible says in Acts 19.20, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. There was citywide uproar over their church by the time you get to Acts 19, verses 23 to 29. But it does say in verse 10, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus. That's an on-fire church in love with God, making a huge impact in their city and beyond with the gospel. Now, later, of course, Paul wrote back to them a letter and he summarized their heart condition. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 16. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So he states clearly, they had faith in the Lord Jesus and love for all the saints. So how does this apply to us? Well, remember Jesus said in his letter, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent of that fallenness and cold love and do the first works. 
or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So the first thing is remember. Remember how far you've fallen by remembering your first love, your honeymoon period, if you like, with the Lord. You know, as a preacher, I often try to keep my mind in those early days of being a Christian. I give illustrations from there and I try to help those that are listening to me see that new Christianity and the excitement that went with it. Jesus wants us all to understand that that's where he wants us to come back to. That's where he wants us to live. Remember the early days. Realize how far you've fallen. We may be doing all the works, but are they loveless? We may be good at doctrinal debate winning, but are we speaking the truth in love? We may have our pride, you could say, over our self-righteousness, maybe even a counterfeit to holiness, and position consciousness, that is, position relative to other people. But are we doing all these things out of love? Are we overflowing love, overflowing the gospel? In other words, compared with where your heart was when you first met Jesus, own up to where you really are now. The second thing Jesus says to do is repent. Change your heart attitude, change your thinking, and then by that change your confession and change your actions. Start doing those things again. Get right with God. Be excited about being in meetings. Learn about God all the time. Be out there in the school of Tyrannus. And if you know the stuff already, start teaching it. Amen. Teach it every day. Get out there. Even if you can't get out there, teach it on the internet. Amen. There's always an opportunity to walk in your first love. Hallelujah. Then he says, do the works you did it at first. Amen. It's time to get back to the simplicity of falling in love with Jesus. Amen. It's like a romance. It's simple childlike trust, a life of faith, joy, praise, and love that believes the unbelievable, attempts the unachievable, and expects the impossible. It was a time when you overflowed in prayer, radiated gratitude towards God, ooze love, and couldn't help telling everyone about your new relationship with Jesus. When we were new Christians and we weren't doing a concert, we'd still go out there and pray in the morning. We'd all get together because many of the band members live with us. We'd pray in the morning and we'd read Matthew chapter 10 and he sent them out two by two saying, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, preach the gospel. And we'd pray that. And then my friend John and I would just get in the car and start driving, believing that somewhere, somehow, we'd come across someone that needs the gospel. And anybody that walked into our house, we had one chair set aside, which we called the prayer chair, and it wouldn't matter who came in. All we could think about was getting them into that chair and praying for them. If they're not born again, they'll be born again. If they need a demon cast out, we'll do that if they need healing. So we'd sit there listening to every word they said until we could get some handle on an opportunity. Amen. Often the people thought that all their Christmas had come at once. All these band members sitting around hanging on every word they said. Well, what were we doing? We were listening. And if they said, oh, I had a headache the other day, we go, did you say headache? You know, Jesus can heal that headache quick in the prayer chair. And we would pray for them. We saw miracle after miracle, demons coming out. And everywhere we went, it was an opportunity for the gospel, 
for miracles. Now, of course, we came under lots of counterattack from the devil, probably came under persecution if we ever slowed down long enough to hear it. I never heard any. And so we just kept everything on that cutting edge. But man, did we have to pray for each other because it was up and down, attack, then victory, then attack, then victory. It was an exciting time. It was an abundant life. Yes, an abundance of ups and downs and ups and downs. Praise the Lord. Can I encourage you today? Be an overcomer. Overcome the abandonment of first love. So what else do the seven letters in Revelation tell us about being ready for the trumpet? Number two, it's the letter to Smyrna. And in this one, they're called to overcome tribulation, or you could say persecution, or the temptation to compromise, backslide, turn away from God, give up your confession in these testing times. Let's read it. Revelation 2, 8 to 11. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works. This is their report card. I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. He won't change his confession. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but which are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. That word tribulation just means tests and trials or a trying time. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And each of these letters ends with he who overcomes. But we've got to look at the context of the letter to see exactly what he's talking about overcoming. So what was Jesus' observation of them in this report? He says, I know your works. I know your tribulation that you've already been through. I know your poverty, but he keeps putting in brackets, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. He gives them a warning. The devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. It's like saying to students, there's a big exam coming up. Get ready for it. Amen. And we need to know that we have to be ready for all kinds of persecution. Jesus did say, if they persecute you in this city, flee to another. We've got to be ready to obey that. He said, pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. Bless those that curse you. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile. All of these are techniques or strategies for overcoming what people bring against you or the devil brings through them against you. So the warning is that they're going to get this strong testing for 10 days. The solution, don't fear. That's always God's answer to a lot of things. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. Amen. Be faithful. Don't back down on your confession. Don't stop being a Christian. Don't Pretend that you can just change it for a while, then change back. 
You have to be faithful and true to Jesus, even if it costs you your life. That's what Jesus is saying. But there's a promise that goes with this. He who overcomes this testing and trial without slipping back shall not be hurt by the second death. We've got to be overcomers. Amen. So we've seen so far that we can learn from the seven letters in Revelation teaching us to be ready for the trumpet. We've got to overcome abandonment of first love, but we're going to have to overcome tribulation, persecution, and all of the temptation that arises when we're under that kind of pressure. Number three today, we're going to look at the letter Jesus wrote to Pergamos and see there that we have to overcome compromise. So this is Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. And to the angel of the church, which is in Pergamos, write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell. You know, God knows exactly where you are. He knows what the spiritual climate's like where you are. Listen to what their spiritual climate was like. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. That's a pretty tough place to live. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in these days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Yes, no doubt living where there's such strong demonic and satanic influence could lead to martyrdom and lots of pressure. And even though they were doing quite well in this, Jesus goes on to say, but I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. What's that? Well, he explains. He taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate which we can only assume was apostate, backsliding, compromise, and going against the word of God and saying it's okay, like saying, oh, all of our sins covered, past, present, and future. Don't worry about what you do because none of it counts anymore. Go ahead and live any way the world lives. You're okay. You're in because you're predestined and you're right. That could be what he's referring to here. Repent, he says, or else I'll come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now here comes his promise. To him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I'll give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So there's good promises there, but this is the report card, Jesus' observation. I know your works, and I certainly know that you dwell where Satan's throne is. Commendation. You hold fast to my name, and you haven't denied my faith, despite there being a martyr. The devil brings this martyrdom, trying to drive people into backsliding and giving up. But they didn't. Amen. Now he's got some corrections. You have there those that hold the doctrine of Balaam. He taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. You know, the Bible teaches clearly that to do something, teach something, 
live the example of something that causes somebody with a weak conscience to sin against their conscience is sin if we do that. Amen. The Bible says in King James, we have to bear with the scruples of the weak. Amen. Which means it's our job to take the extra weight to dodge being in the position that we're causing a weak person to stumble and do something against their conscience until we can teach them, put faith into them, strengthen their conscience. We should greatly curb our own freedoms if what we are doing is against their conscience because it's wrong to cause them to stumble. Amen. So we can't put this stumbling block before the children of Israel and we can't put it before baby Christians, that's for sure. Balaam's doctrine also taught them to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. This is not right and it has to be stopped in the body of Christ. And the leaders in the body of Christ and the elders and the mature covering have to stop those that are doing this simply by following Jesus' instructions about how to deal with sin in the camp. Amen. And he says, you also have those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, or maybe he's saying, this is the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Whatever it is, it involves compromise from God, and it's a doctrine that people are espousing. It's not somebody who slips back, yet they know it's wrong. It's somebody who's teaching that that backsliding is okay. Don't worry about it. You don't have to repent. This is not correct. Amen. So Jesus is correcting them on that. Got to get this sorted out. His warning was, repent of this or else I'll come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. There's going to be some bad stuff if that happens. Amen. So let's get this repentance done. The promise to him who overcomes, what? The doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. To him who overcomes, and gets those doctrines out of the church if you're a church leader. To him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I'll give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. So what have we seen so far in these seven letters in Revelation? What do they teach us about being ready for the trumpet? Overcome abandonment of first love, overcome tribulation and persecution, and overcome the temptation to sin in that, and overcome compromise. You know, the first time I tried to go on a long fast, I realized that when Jesus did his 40-day fast, I said it's a miracle. Not that he went 40 days without food, but he went 40 days on no food without sinning. That took some doing, amen? Because when your body's like that and you're starving hungry, it's easy to say the wrong thing or to slip up. But right now I want to pray for you, but I also want to pray for those that haven't yet received Jesus as their Saviour, because if that's you, you need the Lord. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now to receive Jesus, ask forgiveness of sins, and then turn to him with all of your heart and with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and follow him from this day forward as your Lord. Amen. So just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, you say that, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I turn from my old life. I repent of sin. And I believe today, Jesus, that you carried it 
and that you rose from the dead without it to make me a new person. I receive you today, Jesus. I confess that you are my Lord. I want to be born again. I want my name not to be blotted out of the book of life. And I will follow you from this day forward. Jesus is my Lord. I'm born again. And I follow Jesus as my good shepherd. In Jesus' name. Amen. While you pray that prayer today, I believe you're born again. If you weren't sure the first time, go back and go through it again. And Jesus will come into your life if you pray to him genuinely, sincerely, receiving that new birth, confessing that Jesus is Lord, believing that he rose from the dead, and then simply keep saying Jesus is Lord. Make some great Christian friends. Tell other people about the fact that you're born again and start to follow him and turn from anything that he doesn't like. Amen. Now I want to pray for all the rest of us. Father, I pray for the rest of us today, having heard these seven letters in the book of Revelation. And I ask today, Father, that you would do a work in our lives, that your grace could be imparted to us right now, leading us into the fullness of the life you have for us, leading us into the fullness of all of the rewards of being overcomers, preparing us for the sound of the trumpet, for the voice of the archangel, and for the shout of Jesus that whatever happens after that, we'll be ready. We're ready. We'll have a final report card. That's all commendation. And then he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Father, I pray this for each one of us today, that we'll all be ready, overcomers, having the great commendation from Jesus himself, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for listening today. I look forward to seeing you in the next message.